0: How can you not be romantic about baseball? Swing going a high drive to left! This baby's way back! It is out of here! I don't believe what I just saw! Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird!
1: And it bounces back into fair territory!
0: Oh, I gotta I gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken.
1: Our is in the jackpot now!
0: You're listening to Booze and Baseball.
1: There's 50 feet of crap.
0: And then there's us. A baseball-first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely
1: idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient
0: is. I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotchy, scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down, down into my belly. Mm-hmm. Hello and welcome into another edition of Booze and Baseball. This is episode forty-three. With Dusty Baker, I am Derek Johnson, and I am drawing a complete blank about MLB players who have worn the number 43.
1: (laughs) Honestly, has there ever been a player that's worn 43? I mean, Matt Beatty. Matt Beatty. I got that one down. That is the
0: first name you thought of, Matt Beatty.
1: (laughs) That just tells you the value of 43, man. We need somebody, some legend, to step up to the plate at some point. I, I want Ronald Acuna Jr. to step up. I want Trey Turner. I want... Fernando Tatis Jr. Have Tatis step up and say, "Hey, I'm I'm 43 now. I want to be the best 43 of all time."
0: All right, Dennis Eckersley. How about that? That's
1: pretty pretty great. That's hard to beat. That's that's a good one. I like that. Hmm. Anybody else?
0: Uh, I saw Josh Tomlin. Is that correct? Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. Big big disparity there between uh, good old Dennis and uh, good old Josh right there. Yeah, so, who would you
0: take? Between those two, huh. I don't know.
1: Shocking, shocking. It'd, it'd be close. I don't uh, know.
0: So what are, you, what are you drinking on this episode?
1: Well, Derek, uh, you know, we have promised our listeners all of 2021 that we would show them how to make drinks. And we did that occasionally, time to time. But my New Year's resolution for our podcast is to actually do that. And uh, to give our baseball fans that are sitting there waiting patiently to get their drafts done... Well, in order to do that, you got to have the right drink in hand, right? And so for me, I'm going to make a very simple margarita that uh, I have an ice machine I got for Christmas. There's a story behind this ice machine. Uh, My parents actually got this. It was dropped off at their front door. They did not purchase it. It was actually just purchased by somebody else in their neighborhood. Uh, But Amazon just said, keep it. And so they repackaged it, gave it to me for Christmas, and now it's uh, premiering here on Booze and Baseball. Uh, If you are wearing earbuds or earphones or anything like that beware of the the sudden noise here in the next two <laughs> seconds because it might be a little loud but we're making a very basic cheap margarita that i use anytime i lose uh, which honestly this is more of a celebration one my fantasy football league uh, but either way cheap margarita easy way of doing this i got this margarita mix uh and it's already ready to go it's the margarita wine cocktail uh, Rancho La uh, Gloria, and uh, that's uh its about 13.9% alcohol volume. And with this ice machine, here we go. If it
0: actually decides. Okay, so already I have seen great. a problem develop. You had to put the glass in sideways. Yes,
1: yes. And so the problem was I didn't have my bowl ready because I took a shot earlier today. <laughs> so that's step one. Normally put that there. Either way, you can put the glass in sideways. That's technically how it's supposed to be. So don't take it from me. This is uh this is our initial start to 2022. There's a lot of positive steps we could take in the right direction. But all you got to do... Go over the ice, and uh, we're actually going to be pretty good uh, about, I would say there's roughly three to four shots in this thing by the end of it. Uh, and when you go with the mix that I have, it thins out. I'll show it to you right there. I mean, the the layering of it. There we
0: go. I feel like I'm pretty watching solid. Bobby Flay. <laughs> it's,
1: and then by the end of this, I'm not going to remember what we talked about. Yeah, it's Perfect. What are you drinking?
0: Okay, I like the effort put into it um, because it was a New Year's resolution, That probably means we'll give up on it in March, but I love the effort right off the bat. I have a uh, Iowa whiskey. You know how I love the state of Iowa. This is a uh, 45% alcohol bottle. It is called Iowa Whiskey number 9, and it's developed by, I don't know if you know the band Slipknot. I, I don't really listen to them or anything, but I'm aware of who the band is. I'm pretty sure they have a piece in creating this whiskey. It's actually very darn good, as you can see. Um, I'm pretty much done with the bottle. Um, and as Slipknot, one of their famous songs, apparently, like I said, I don't really listen to them, is Wait and Bleed, which is how I feel about the MLB lockout right now. So <laughs> I'm going to get a little uh, Iowa Number no. 9 whiskey in this glass. Perfect to drink on a cold day, as it has been here in the midwest for a lot recently we actually had like 60 degrees on christmas but since then it has been freezing cold we got snow outside and the whole deal it uh is honestly really good for whiskey drinking
1: hey there's always always a good time any single day it's called five o'clock somewhere for whiskey drinking but uh it's even better when you let your ice go sit on the uh the countertop and have to feed that into your cup. So that's partially what I had to do right there. We're good though. The margarita is great. It's a great start.
0: Good to hear. And by the way, if you do like whiskeys that like, this isn't one that I would classify as it like it's, it's smoothish, but it's not one of the more smooth whiskeys. It has more flavor though. It's all about the flavor. So if you like the flavored whiskeys and you're fine with some of the heat, Then uh, I would highly recommend this Iowa number nine made by Slipknot. Apparently, okay. So on today's episode of Booze and Baseball, episode number forty-three, we are going to discuss who we think if if we were starting a keeper league or a dynasty league, whichever term you want to use, who would we take number one if we had that pick in the draft this year? And then we're going to go through in a one-year league uh, a ten-pick first-round draft. We'll go back and forth, basically taking the different picks for the teams in the first round of what we think we would do in that first round. But I want to stop at the, start at the top there with who would be your top pick in a keeper league if if you were starting that up this year?
1: Yeah, it's and honestly, so I've been writing some of these articles for Just Baseball here for a, a little bit, kind of giving these previews to to give me an idea, I guess, as to where I would probably turn. Okay, there's there's one secret to this. If you magically decide to play on fan tracks, and I don't know why you would, I'm definitely not an advocate, but if you do, your number one pick has to be Shohei Otani because it's the only one, as far as I'm aware of, the only fantasy league that allows him to be both a pitcher and hitter at the same time he's one player not two as most other leagues are so if you're given that option it shouldn't even be an option for you I mean immediately jump at Shohei the fact that you can get elite hitting numbers offensive numbers plus you can also get solid pitching numbers that you, you can't get that you, I mean that's just unbelievable so huge huge cheat code right there to get Shohei Otani as one player but let's pretend that that's not the case it's so difficult. There's so many different stats, Derek, that we can kind of look at and value more than others. And obviously, position eligibility is a big thing too. Based off of age, based off of you know what I like from what what I've seen so far from the players that we're given here, I actually think that I would probably have, have to go with Wander Franco. And, and the reason why I choose that, the numbers that he put up this past season were as good as advertised. He is on a team that's going to continue to win. He's built around, uh, I think the Rays are planning on making this their guy. I mean, they've already extended him. They clearly have this firm belief that he's going to keep this going forward. Uh, he plays a premium position. He hasn't shown any signs of injury, which I have seen from Fernando Tatis Jr. That's a concern to me he's going to be able to be a five-category guy. Uh, and you can't say that necessarily about all these other guys that are uh, on the younger tier. Ronald Acuna Jr. to me is probably a guy that I would have comped with. Vlad Guerrero Jr. if I wanted straight numbers, or Juan Soto, Though those were my other kind of in, off the top of my head, those choices. But for me, I think I want the guy that's the youngest that already is proving that he's got the longest career probably
0: out of any of them. It's funny because I was actually having a conversation with somebody in our fantasy league about if where would Wander go in a draft, and I, I think I said top five, and he disagreed, um, and the argument kind of uh, started to boil down to who would you take, Beau Bichette or Wander Franco? And I said Wander Franco. Now, most rankings, if you look at Dynasty and Keeper rankings, would say Bo Bichette. And maybe that is crazy to go with Wander Franco because Bo Bichette has proven that he can be a top five fantasy baseball player. And Wander Franco, as, as really good as he was as a, a rookie entering the league last year, you still don't know if he can hit those heights. You sometimes just take the sure thing. But that's how great I feel about Wander Franco. So I actually don't mind that. But I would go with Juan Soto. Now... In a one-year league, I would not take Juan Soto first. I don't even know if I'd have him in the top three because of the fact that steals are so important to get from your top guy. But in a keeper league or a dynasty league, if you're going to be in this league for a decade plus, all these other hitters, even if you take one of these guys who's getting steals now, in three, four, five years down the road, they're probably not going to be getting steals. And I think as much as that could diminish some of their profile of what they do in fantasy, We know what Juan Soto is. He might be the best pure hitter in baseball. He's still only 23 years old, as remarkable as that sounds. He doesn't turn 24 till the end of the season in October. And while the steals might dissipate for other guys, Juan Soto's not really getting many steals now, which maybe I guess hurts him compared to those guys in the short term. But because of that, you know that's not a skill that he has to rely on to stay at the elite, elite level of fantasy baseball players. So for that reason, I think I'd go Juan Soto.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a totally fair pick and, and between Soto and Guerrero Jr. and Tatis. And, and for me, Franco, I mean, it is... You can't go wrong, right? Like, if you're in a keeper league draft, you should be sitting there with the fourth or the fifth pick just licking your chops. I mean, you got the pick of the litter right there of the four to five guys. Acuna Jr. should be in that conversation, too of just elite talent. Um, and to be honest, Eric, I look back at the days when it was the 2010s and you, you look at the top elite talent, there were not guys like this that just showed straight promise that you knew they could put off 40 home runs and you know hit 300 easily. Like I remember the days of Hanley Ramirez being the best player in fantasy and Chase Utley and David Wright, right? And so this is a much more talented era I would say of top tier fantasy players. And, and for Juan Soto, I mean, you know, that guy is going to hit 300 every year. Uh, He's probably going to be the first $500 million man. And uh, a lot of people from just baseball have written articles about that recently too, that he probably deserves it. Right. And so um, I, I'm curious to see what happens with Soto moving forward, just because of how the nationals don't have much talent around him right now. But if you're looking at a keeper league and you hit the nail on the head, man, you should not be thinking, I'm winning it all this year, being the first year you draft. If you're drafting to win that initial year, good luck being successful two years from from the day of the draft. I, I'm just saying, you gotta prepare for the future. And and any of those five guys to me are future picks. The one guy that I would not take in a keeper league that I would take in a one-year league in the first round is Trey Turner. Uh, Big difference, big difference between, and and it goes back to that whole concept of stolen bases.
0: Okay. Let's transition then to that conversation about who would go if you were in a one-year league, which we're going to start up and and join one um, as co-managers this year, a one-year five-by-five league and, um, I don't know if we're going to join an average or an OBP. We'll talk about that later. But um, let's do uh, a first round. We'll go back and forth. I'll I'll just take the first pick since I'm talking right now, I guess. Um, <laughs> in a one-year league, and then I'll give you the second pick, and we'll just go back and forth and, and fill out the first round. In a one-year league, I think I would lean Fernando Tatis right now But I am a little scared because there's been injury passed. But with Tatis, you're getting shortstop eligibility. You're getting outfield eligibility. And you're going to get steals. You're probably going to get 40 home runs. Again, this is obviously kind of based on health. But a lot of guys really in the top 10, like you could make a claim that, oh, they've had uh, some big injury in the past. So that maybe shouldn't count as much as it would. And Tatis has just been so good, so dynamic, uh, filled up so many different stats hits for a high average hits all the home runs gets steals he's gonna help you out in a lot of those different ways so I think I'd go uh with FTJ is that what they call him did I just make that up I,
1: I think the Padres are trying to call him that I don't know I I mean it, it's an easy thing to say I feel like so FTJ all the way uh number one I, I like the pick I, I don't I don't think anybody's going to sit there at your draft and say that you're dumb for picking uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. number one. Uh, number two overall, for you know the pick that I would take is probably Drew Smiley. Um, oh, okay. no. <laughs> You must really like that arm angle. I, I love that arm angle. Now, I, you know, number two is a really tough one because it goes back to that whole argument of the the top five for me, but in a one year league. I will attack the guy that I know is going to give me the numbers that I I can trust the most. And I'm between two guys, and since I have the second pick and third pick, I'll make it pretty obvious who I prefer, and then who is the safer pick between the two that I'll have third. The, The guy I prefer in this scenario... Any any draft, if I only had one pick, would be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I, I love the numbers that he put up last year. He's in the top 99th percentile in uh, exit slugging, and, and he's in the top 97th percentile in almost every offensive category. Um, and he's so young, so talented, hitter's ballpark, great lineup around him. Even without Marcus Semien, I'm not worried. Uh, this guy is going to hit above 300. He takes after his dad. I need a guy that can get me obvious average power, RBIs, all of that, and you know that you can get that from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The one thing you don't get from uh, Vlad Jr., though, is stolen bases. And so because of that, and only because we're just going serpentine in this, obviously this isn't real life of, oh, I'd have these guys on my team unless I traded for them. But uh, to be able to go from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to then picking Trey Turner, I feel like that is probably my third pick. Trey Turner, I like the fact that, I know the numbers I'm going to get out of him. He will probably score more runs this season because he's in a better Dodgers lineup. Uh, You know he's hitting at the top there with Mookie Betts. Uh, He will probably be driven in more a lot because of that, and I would assume the Dodgers are going to have him steal even more uh, to get him in position for that. So the stolen bases will be a massive factor uh, to be able to get him on top there. I I like Trey Turner even potentially as a number one overall pick. I don't think I would look down on somebody for that. Uh, only for a one-year league, though. For a keeper league, it's completely different because he is on the older side, uh, but he's healthy. He's proven that he could stay healthy. Uh, He's got position eligibility that is attractive about him. And, uh, yeah, I I really like the fact that I can get him at both shortstop and second base. I think that's a massive, massive value to him, uh, especially in this one-year
0: league. Yeah, I'll be honest. I was between Tatis and Turner for who I was going to take number one. I think he's going to get unleashed with steals. And being in that Dodgers lineup, he's going to score so many runs. I, I think he's going to have a phenomenal season. So I uh, am all about that pick there. Now, I, I should probably clarify here. Um, Shohei Otani, we're considering him two players for the discussion right. of this, right? Right. Okay. Right. He's he's number one overall pick otherwise. Yeah. I was just going to say that would have been a flub had we not mentioned that. So, knowing that, um, at the next pick, I'm going to go Juan Soto. I, I just made my case about why I think he's such a, a good... Um, number one keeper player, and he's just going to give you so much from the hitting categories. Now you're gonna, if you take him in the first round, you're gonna want to find some steals in your second or third round pick or something. So if you're taking him in the first round, maybe you start eyeing um, some guys in that second round, like I don't know, maybe you can get some steals out of like a Luis Robert if he can fall to your pick in the second round, depending how how deep the league is. You might be eyeing Starling Marte later in the draft. Find somebody who can make up for those steals to kind of balance out your roster. But Juan Soto is going to give you so much from the hitting categories. I would go him four. And then my my double barrel pick here I think becomes the hard one. But I would would lean Bo Bichette right now to round out that top five. Because he is in such a good lineup, he's going to hit near or at the top of the lineup. He's going to get a ton of runs. He's going to get a ton of run production. He's going to hit home runs. He's going to hit for a high average, especially if this is an average league, Um, more so than an OBP league. I mean, he'd still go high in an OBP league, but even higher in an average league because he swings so much and and, uh, makes contact a lot. So I'll I'll go Soto 4, Bichette 5.
1: Yeah, I, and I I don't think there's much you can argue with either one of those. Uh, Bichette for me is an interesting one because his last season wasn't actually mind blowing by any means, and and I think that that's one thing is you know the potential that's there uh, that's super appealing about him, and so that's why you can't sit there and say you know any anywhere he's picked really outside of the top five. I mean, he's a good pick regardless. He hit two ninety two I believe two ninety eight in twenty twenty one. Um, his power numbers, he was nearing 30 on runs. He had 29 bombs and, uh, his stolen base is number 25. So you know that he's going to give you solid numbers across the board. Uh, I want league championship numbers, uh, for my one-year league. I think Bo is a great, great keeper pick, no matter where you get him. And so that's why for my number six pick, I want the guy that I feel like can get me those championship numbers, both in the home run category, stolen base category. Uh, he may not give it to me immediately, though, unless we have this delay in the season, but I love Ronald Cooney Jr. And I think that, you know, one year ago, he was the number one overall pick. He doesn't fall off far for me uh, with this sixth overall pick. And, and to be able to have that... Uh, versatility, the the five-category talent that he has, knowing he has 40 home run potential. He has 30 stolen base potential. I'm a little worried about the injury, but it seems like he's recovering quite nicely. So uh, hopefully that'll not play much of a role in his numbers. I'm willing to take that risk. I would not take it with the number one overall pick. But with the sixth pick, I will take Acuna. And with the seventh pick, I'm actually going to go uh, and take a, a little bit older of a player, but a guy that... I think may potentially be traded at the deadline this year. I think he's a name that's been hearing. You've, you've been hearing his name in uh, trade rumors already. And to me, if he gets traded, it adds to his value that it is already obvious on paper. But Jose Ramirez is a really great player and steals bases, uh, hits bombs, can be, you know, he hits for average in a lineup that's just absolutely terrible. Truly the one knock against Jose Ramirez is who else is in his lineup, right? And so that's that's the one major frustration. Um, but I'm willing to take that risk. I get a, a Cunha guy in the outfield, I get Ramirez at third base, throw them in the mix uh, with my Trey Turner pick already, uh, and then you add on top of that the fact that I got Vlad at first base. I mean, I, I'm feeling pretty good early on about kind of the direction I'd be going with this, and, and even regardless, just on paper, uh, for having that as the seventh overall pick, Look at the numbers that Jose Ramirez put up last year. You may have forgotten that he was fantasy relevant just simply because nobody else produced around him. And uh, still, to be able to hit maybe not as high of an average as you hope at 266, but 36 home runs and 27 steals, I mean, you're getting a guy that's borderline 40-30, you know? And with the seventh pick, I'll take that any day.
0: Okay, so I'm just under the assumption we are doing um, for this one-year league. It's a 5x5 average league, uh, which played into Bichette because he just puts up totals. I I should clarify here, if if this was an OBP league instead of average, probably with this pick here, number 8, I would be taking Bryce Harper for the OBP but because I'm assuming that it's average, I'm not going to go with that. I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to go with Mike Trout. We don't know what Mike Trout's going to give. We don't know how healthy he is. It was really weird how many games he missed last season for an injury that seemed a bit innocuous for the length of time that he did end up missing. But I think at this point, like if you get just regular Mike Trout, it's worth a top three pick. It's just the risk. So I would be fine taking that risk at this point in the first round where you're picking number eight. You know, you're going to get a pretty high up second round pick. And then you would just need to make sure, like the same way I said with if you're taking Soto in the first round, you need to make sure you you find steals later in the draft. Well, if you're taking Trout in the first round, you probably don't want to, after that, take other risky guys with injury, uh, especially that early on in the draft. So I'd go Trout there. And then I want to be a little different. I want to take the first pitcher of the draft. Some might be saying Garrett Cole. Some might be saying Walker Buehler. I'm going to go with Corbin Burns. I I was curious how Corbin Burns was going to handle once they they had more of the sticky stuff locked down in the MLB. And he was still fantastic even after. I mean, if you go to his baseball savant page, you will be blown away. This is remarkable to me. He is in the 92nd percentile or better. In literally every category, there are... 12, 15 categories, except for two. Max exit velocity against and fastball velocity, which he's in the 81st. Every other category, average exit velocity, hard hit rate, uh, XERA, X batting average, X slug, barrel rate, whiff percentage, chase rate, curveball spin, fastball spin, is in the 92nd percentile or higher. This dude is unbelievable. I think he might end up having the best fantasy pitcher season of the year, and I would take him number one here at pick number nine. I'd be fine doing that. And let me ask you a question before you get into your next pick. What are your thoughts on the double barrel pitcher philosophy? The idea of, hey, if I have a back-end first-round pick take back-to-back pitchers here in the first and second round.
1: That actually was exactly what my plan of attack was going to be in this, but you took the guy that I was going to take. So, um, yeah, I, I I think that that's actually a very aggressive and solid fantasy approach for a one-year league, particularly. If you have the 10th pick and Corbin Burns and Garrett Cole are on the board, I feel like that's the direction you go. Um, and, you know, I, I, in this case, would have the 10th pick, and I'm going with Garrett Cole for that reason. Uh, because I would still do this back-to-back structure, uh, and I would go with the Garrett Cole and either Jacob deGrom or Max Scherzer combo or Walker Buehler. I think you got to go with the safer, safest pick of those, and that's got to be Walker Buehler in this sense. Um, and so it would be Garrett Cole and Walker Buehler for me with picks 10 and 11, right? And so I, I love that approach. I think that if, if you have the 10th pick or 12th pick if you're in a 12-team league, you have right there an advantage because you immediately can seek out and see if the rest of your league has pursued hitting already. And if they have, you can have a massive edge over literally every single team by having the two best pitchers in baseball on paper. Um, And then you're going to lead to the trend of, you know, there's somebody that's going to take Scherzer and somebody that's going to take DeGrom or any, any of that combo, if you will, later in that round because you set the trend. And then you catch up with the hitters, and it all pays off in the end. You know, to me, one thing that I've learned about last season, uh, especially with COVID, is the fact that depth is so important offensively. Pitching-wise, being top-heavy is not the worst thing in the world. You may want to give yourself that room to be able to drag and drop, to be able to have a couple streams along the way. You do not want to have seven to eight really, really good pitchers because all of a sudden you're kind of – Strangle holding yourself, uh, to be able to make those moves when you may need, you know, uh, six innings or strikeouts or anything like that. You don't want that. So to be able to be more top heavy pitching wise, I think has a little more value, I would say than being top heavy hitting wise. And, and it's a little ironic that, you know, our first what eight picks were, you know, obviously hitters because in essence, it almost makes more sense to be top heavy pitching wise. Uh, So to be able to have that edge, I think that there's some serious value to that. And I I fully support those picks. Corbin Burns would have been my 10th pick uh, if you had not taken him because I I would have done the the Corbin Burns to Garrett Coltrend. And um, obviously now that you take Burns, I'm going Garrett Cole to uh, Walker Bueller with the, what would be the turnaround to the second round?
0: You know, what's really cool about this year? Like we, we just named 11 guys basically for 11 picks essentially And there is still left Bryce Harper, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, uh, Luis Robert, Shohei Otani, Jacob deGrom, Raphael Devers, Zach Wheeler, Brandon Woodruff, Kyle Tucker. Like this, it's going to be a fun year in fantasy. Hopefully we end up having it. I think that if I had like, if we did one more pick and I had number 12, just to even it out, I think I would lean Mookie Betts. He started to look healthier in the postseason from the back. And I feel confident in that. Honestly, I I probably should have taken him. I had a Trout that probably maybe if I flipped those, that would be better. But, um, yeah, I'd be confident in him for sure in the top 12. Um, any I, final I like thoughts the, here before uh, we go on this edition of B&B? Yeah, well, I, I like that
1: Mookie Betts pick right there. I think that, uh, you know, he has Trey Turner for an entire season. Think about that. That's, that's a big asset that, uh, you know, he obviously hasn't had in the past. When when you look at if you go to fantasy pros, that's something that I kind of use um, as a tool for myself to kind of assess roughly where people are thinking of fantasy players. And I look across the board, uh, you see names like Shane Bieber, like Derek mentioned, at 24 after an injury riddled season. Imagine what this delay could do for a guy like Shane Bieber, right? I mean, uh, that could all of a sudden make him, who was a first round type value a year ago first-round value again, right? So who knows what happens. These delays that we're getting because the fact that the MLB and the MLBPA cannot figure it out is going to be something that's going to make this still very difficult. But I will say it seems for me the top five, top six is relatively cookie-cutter and you can't go wrong with any of those picks. I mean, I would not make fun of somebody making those top six picks that we made in in any order, to be honest. I, I think that you could almost... I don't think Bo Bichette's maybe the number one overall pick, right? But I would not be upset seeing Bo Bichette four or five, right? I think that it makes total sense for any of these guys basically in that order to be taken at that moment. And a guy we didn't even pick, Derek, by the way, Shohei
0: Otani. Yeah, yeah. And again, that was under the assumption with two players, but he'd be right there. I, I think it's interesting. I've I've seen some leagues where they they do like a – it's like a blind auction for who picks where. So you give your priority, basically from like 1 to 12, or, or however many teams in the league, 1 through 10, 1 through 15, whatever, of what pick you want the most. And then you submit that, and then it gets randomly selected who gets the first pick, basically. And if they're, they're the first selection, and, and the pick they want the best is number 7, then they get picked number 7. And it goes down the list of how that goes. I think if I was in one of those the pick I would want the most would be number four because then you're guaranteed one of those those big four of Soto, Guerrero, Turner, and uh, uh, Tatis. And then you're also going to have, I think, just high enough of a second-round pick that you'll be able to get. I mentioned all those names at the end that you can double down and get another really big name.
1: Yeah, I love that. I, I think that the, the number four pick in the draft, number five pick even in the draft, you are absolute gold. And if you have the number one pick in the draft – If you have the chance to trade that away, do it. Do it. Unless, of course, Shohei is one player and two, you never give that up. That is beyond valuable, and it's almost illegal. It's almost illegal.
0: All right. That is Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. That's going to do it for episode number 43 of Booze and Baseball. Don't forget to check out all the great content at justbaseball.com. We'll be back for our next episode later next week. Have a good one. Drink responsibly. As always, don't forget to subscribe to us. Talk to you later.